1: Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only sports show from RNZ Sport. I'm Barry Guy. In this week's show, we discuss the Super Rugby quarterfinals with a chance all four New Zealand teams involved could make the semi-finals. We talk Rio Olympics with Chef de Mission Rob Woodell, and we also hear from one of the last athletes to be selected in that team, who only got in by replacing a drugs cheat. We'll also talk netball, cycling, and boxing. Four New Zealand sides have qualified for this weekend's Super Rugby quarterfinals, raising the possibility of an All-Kiwi Final Four. That prospect will require four strong performances by the Highlanders, Hurricanes, Crusaders and Chiefs, with the latter two sides having to overcome a tough travel schedule. I spoke with Joe Porter, our rugby reporter, about the chances of two All-New Zealand semifinals. Well, Joe, there's a chance all four teams, uh, New Zealand teams in the playoffs could make it through to the semifinals. We'll start with the uh, the first game and the uh, the Highlanders are in Canberra to take on the ACT Brumbies, who are the Australian champions. The Highlanders coming off that win last weekend, you must, must like their chances, but Canberra is a hard, hard place to win it.
2: Yeah, that's right. Canberra is a hard place to go and play playoff Super Rugby. They've had good success there in the past, and the Brumbies do play a very strategic and traditional style of game, which they will try and strangle the Highlanders in Canberra. However, the Highlanders have beaten them already in recent times. Quite convincingly, they've come off a very impressive performance and a win over the Chiefs in Dunedin last weekend. They're the reigning champions, and they showed last year on their way to the final that they don't mind travelling to play knockout games and winning them. In fact, they had to go all the way away during their play playoff run last year to win the title they made in Super Rugby title so no problems I should think tonight for the Highlanders.
1: Somewhat surprisingly the uh, Hurricanes ended up top qualifiers they've got the home field advantage and they're taking on the the Sharks Um, yeah who again despite having to travel you know they'll be a, a tough prospect.
2: Yeah, the Sharks have played all the New Zealand sides this year and have beaten three of them I think, so they've had some success against the New Zealand sides, they've got experience against them this year, they don't mind travelling to New Zealand, they've won two out of the last eight games they've played against the Hurricanes, including their last meeting in May, so they'll be riding a wave of confidence in that sense, however the Hurricanes have won their last five games on the trot, they qualified top of the table with an emphatic win over the Crusaders last weekend, so of course they're heavy favourites to set themselves up for a home semi-final next week weekend.
1: I suppose with the Hurricanes, uh, you look at their run last year, they finished top qualifiers also, but I know know, Bowden Barrett wasn't at his best in the playoffs. Just generally, what have you thought of this Hurricanes side this year without all those guys that left after the World Cup?
2: Well, at the start of the season, I'd almost written off their chances. I thought they'd lost enough firepower out of the tight 5 and, of course, the two big midfielders in Ma Nonu and Conrad Smith, that they might struggle. However, as the season's progressed, they seem to have formed a more cohesive unit. They've got in behind Dane Coles as captain. I suppose their breaking of curfew in Durban when they lost to the Sharks was a catalyst for the team, perhaps... Uh, becoming more cohesive and forming as more of a tight bunch. So from there, they've won every single game. They've been very impressive. Whoever they've thrown in the midfield, and it has changed a lot, have have maintained their levels of performance. And last week over the Crusaders was almost the perfect game from the Hurricanes in terms of coming up against the New Zealand opposition. And they'll be odds on favourites to go all the way now. Very impressive into the season from them.
1: So the Crusaders uh, had a chance of finishing top. Of the uh, qualifiers, but uh, they lost to the Hurricanes, as you said, last weekend, and and now they were one of the lower qualifiers. So uh, that loss to the Hurricanes, a big loss, I know without a couple of guys, how difficult is it going to be for them to get up and um, beat uh, at the Lions?
2: And that loss to the Hurricanes was huge for them because now they ended up having to travel to Johannesburg to play the Lions. They only arrived on Wednesday in Johannesburg, so they've had very little preparation time at altitude to get used to it. They have beaten the Lions already this year by about five points in a high-scoring game at Alice Park in April, so they will be carrying some confidence from that result. However, they're missing their star winger in Imani Nandolo. They've had to come all the way from New Zealand after a, you know, a confidence-denting game against the Hurricanes. So I think the Crusaders are, are the least likely of all the New Zealand sides in the, in the quarterfinals this weekend to win. Yeah, I think the Crusaders might do it tough in Johannesburg.
1: And the uh, Chiefs, they've had to make a couple of changes from uh, last weekend's game. They've got some injuries. Stephen Donald's going to play in the midfield. And again, they're going to have to travel. Uh, to the stormers who, who were in a unique situation this year, you might want to e- explain that. So again, that's going to be a close one.
2: Yeah, the Chiefs and the Stormers. The Stormers are one of the better South African teams in this year's competition. However, they haven't been tested against the New Zealand sides because they haven't played any of them during the round robin. So that will set them up at a disadvantage, I would say, because the New Zealand sides have consistently been the strongest throughout this year's competition. The Chiefs will be full of confidence going over there to beat the Stormers. And my money is on the Chiefs to win this game. They've got a massive injury list and have lost some firepower for this match, but. They've travelled well this year. They know how to go over to South Africa and win, and I'll be fairly confident that Dave Rennie and his side will come back victorious.
1: So from what I take, you're picking three of the four New Zealand sides to win. So just if we looking at the crystal ball a couple of weeks ahead, though, you're, you're picking a New Zealand side to win
2: overall? Yes. I think if the Hurricanes can avoid slipping up against the Sharks and the Chiefs come back from the Stormers with victory, one of those teams goes on to win the final.
1: Fingers crossed for a unique situation of all four New Zealand teams making the semi-finals of the Super Rugby competition. This is extra time. The New Zealand cyclist Shane Archbold had a rough introduction to the greatest race in the world. Archbold almost made it through his debut Tour de France, crashing out on the 17th stage. He was one of three New Zealanders competing this year, alongside Greg Henderson and George Bennett. I caught up with Archbold the day after he came off on a steep descent.
3: I don't quite know what went wrong. Obviously, hitting the ground at 76k an hour was the the wrong point of the thing, but I don't actually know what happened. From having George, fellow New Zealander behind me, he thinks I might have hit some uh, hot tar, some wet tar of some description, and the bike slipped out from there, but we're not actually too sure what happened exactly. Obviously, when you hit the ground at that speed, something's got to go. Unfortunately, it was my pelvis.
1: Was it sort of just a bit of a a shock or adrenaline, but you jumped back on and carried on to the end of the stage? Yeah, I
3: mean, there's a few races that you want to finish. Um, Sort of when you start, you don't really want to give up too easily. Uh, Paris-Roubaix, after a crash last year, was one of them wanting to finish that, and then obviously the Tour this year, once I got back on my bike, and obviously I was quite a wee way behind the, the leaders, but Thankfully, if a crash like that, you do get some support from cars and that kind of thing. So I got back in the race and was able to finish. I just was very limited on my movement. and It wasn't until I uh, got the x-ray later on last night that I realised something was not
1: quite right. So, yeah, painful. Uh, How are you feeling now?
3: I shouldn't have rode yesterday (laughs) (laughs) after the crash. I regret that. I definitely, when I got out of bed this morning, I couldn't get out of bed, so... I haven't actually moved too far today. Um, I've got some crutches here now that I tried to use and they're as useful as nothing, so I'm pretty limited. i going to be bedridden for a few days yet, that's for sure. I didn't quite realise last night the situ- seriousness of the situation, the pain wise, but oh, it's just unfortunately part of the sport.
1: So, where does that uh, leave you? What's the prognosis? How long will you be out?
3: I don't really know at this stage it's broken yes but it's not a serious break it doesn't require surgery and I am my pelvis and hips are stable so I'm not unless on impact not going to get any worse so it's more just of a bed rest thing and um, when I feel like I can get on the bike again I can get on the bike it's not going to be this week that's for sure and probably not next week but um, it'll just be a step by step process so I've got Sort of got to get, uh, hopefully somehow get back to Spain, get back to my apartment and then get another x-ray in a couple of days' time and then go from there.
1: Uh, Well, it's obviously ruined the rest of your season, but um, if you can put that aside, I suppose, how was the Tour de France experience? Yeah, it is
3: an amazing experience. Um, It's crazy how many fans there are, let alone New Zealanders. There's a lot of New Zealand fans out there um, supporting me, Greg and George and that was a great experience and... The whole, the whole thing in itself was great, but obviously to come so close to Paris, there's only 420k left of the race. It was a bit disappointing to only have 10%, 12% of the race left to do and not be able to go all the way to the line. But um, there's always next year, and obviously the health comes first, so there's not much we can do about that.
1: Uh, so um, I can uh, just assume that this rules you out for the rest of the, the season, would it?
3: I wouldn't be so sure just yet. Um, If I was out for the season, I'd definitely be coming back to New Zealand on a flight this week. Um, I'm going to play it by air and try and get back on my bike, hopefully in less than three weeks. And then um, once I can go pain-free inside, I can get back outside and then start racing. I still have quite a few races left on my calendar this year. Nothing is the uh, extent of the Tour de France, but... It would be nice to race again before before the end of the season because obviously otherwise I won't race again until January or February next year. So it's not really much point being a cyclist if you can't race your bike. So I'll be trying to come back as fast as possible. But for now, we'll just have to play it by ear.
1: That's the New Zealand cyclist, Shane Archbold. Final spots are up for grabs as the last edition of the Trans Tasman Netball Competition draws to a close. The Waikato Bay of Plenty Magic hosts the New South Wales Swifts in Hamilton on Monday night, while on Sunday the Southern Steel are in Brisbane playing the defending champions, the Queensland Firebirds. The Silver Ferns mid quarter Laura Langman has been playing for the Sydney based Swifts this season, but says she won't make up her mind about whether she plays her netball in New Zealand or Australia next year until after the Trans Tasman competition finishes. This is the last year of the trans-Tasman competition, with both countries deciding to run their own domestic competitions next year. Langman is excited about playing her old team this weekend and says they're hitting some good form.
4: They certainly have really just, each week, um, steadily gained momentum and now they're they're playing some of the best football I think the team has played all year and I think what's Better timing than um, to bring it now. So massive challenge coming across the ditch, but I think um, you know as a Swiss so a well-travelled, a well-travelled team. I think um, what they endured last season will hold um, us in really good stead in terms of the ability to have to front up. Um, so I'm really, really excited about what the week will bring.
5: Do you get questions from from your teammates on sort of what to expect or how to uh, approach things or things? Moved on from that.
4: Yeah, no, I think you know we've got so many seasoned campaigners in it and amongst our group, um, and I think across all of us, um, there's a lot of wisdom and a lot of knowledge. And it's, we're very much we've got to start uh, walking the talk now, um, and yeah, let our actions, um, you know, be our words, so to speak
5: playing in Sydney, how much of a different perspective has it given you, I suppose, both on New Zealand's netball and on Australian netball?
4: Yeah, it's been really refreshing. I think I've really enjoyed um, you know, the strings or the skills that I've picked up and hopefully that has improved my game. Um, I think um, what has been great um, kind of Sliding between centre and wing D, and um, the skill sets in both really complement each other. So it's been really refreshing, um, and it's been the challenge that I really wanted it to be.
5: What about when you when you look at from Australia looking at New Zealand netball? Has it given you any different thoughts or views on, on how New Zealand approaches the game or and vice versa? Um,
4: well, yeah, I, I guess um, if anything, I hope it just improves my ability um, to play the New Zealand style or. Um, you know, add value to, um, you know, how we like to play the game in New Zealand. So, yeah, I think um, I've more looked at it from an individual perspective as opposed to, you know, global, like, comparing the two. Um, I think, you know, both styles um, have their challenges and are absolutely fantastic. And I think um, having a hybrid of the two, um, I hope um, will be a real strength to my game.
5: Which areas in particular do you think you've built on?
4: I think my ability to swing between um, like defensively man on man um, and um, having a hunt I think is certainly still a work in progress but I've liked uh, where um, I have done that at times during the season. I think attacking um, like wise um, just little um, things or techniques on the feed I think um, you know have really added quite a lot of value even though they are small changes. Um, yeah, and I just think the, um, the expectation in terms of physical um, fitness and um, skill set over here has certainly um, made sure that I keep, even though we're in season, got to make sure you keep ticking the boxes um, that, in, to ensure that you can do your role on court.
5: I mean, how disappointing or, or is it disappointing that this competition's not going to be here? Next year is that a loss for for the development of New Zealand netballers?
4: Um, I think you know you need to approach the new um, structure of um, netball. I think with an open mind. I don't think anyone is in a position to kind of comment or be accurate on the forecast of what it will look like and you know what products will come from it. Um, you know, I think what is really exciting is. Both nations generally want to see um, netball be the first choice for ladies, women um, and girls um, going forward. And they both are generally looking at developing a product that is world class um, and that people want to watch and play. So I think it's exciting. And I think, you know, going into what is new, probably right back when AMD was first coming on, no one knew what it had in store and everyone just had to have an open mind and run with it.
5: What about yourself? Will you be going back to the Swifts next year?
4: Oh gosh, I think um, it's business time and um, 2017 is probably the furthest thought in my mind right now. Um, I always like to have time to kind of evaluate where I'm at. It's been the most wonderful experience here. Um, Certainly challenging, um, but I've had some fantastic memories and moments, so certainly a decision that will... Uh, Wait till probably (laughs) mid-August.
1: That's Laura Langman talking to sports editor Stephen Houston. The latest addition to the New Zealand Olympic team for Rio, the Greco-Roman wrestler Craig Miller will realise his Olympic dream after almost having it taken away by a doper. After initially missing selection, the 31-year-old will compete in the 66 kilogram weight division, getting his Rio reprieve following the suspension of Australian Vinod Kumar for doping. The New Zealander lost to Kumar in the semifinals of the Olympic qualifying tournament in Algeria. Miller spoke to sports reporter Joe Porter about what impact the revelations of state-sponsored Russian doping across all sports will have on wrestling in Rio, and about how he suspected that Australian Kumar was a drugs cheat.
6: I, I referee in Australia, so I've seen him wrestle a few times, um, and he went from being being quite pudgy to um, having veins popping out of his chest in the space of about four months. Um, and as someone who's gone through quite a quite a body transformation myself, um, I used to be 105 kilo and I'm wrestling 66 of these Olympics. You know, I know how hard it is to, to change and transform. Um, I know how hard it is to, to do that as a clean athlete. And for him to do it so quickly and so well, uh, I always have my suspicions, but... Um, but yeah, that's proven to be right. Whether that was the difference in Algeria, i don't even know. Um, but um, I, I, I believe I, I you know, I, I, I would I would have one had He was clean, but I can't I can't say that for sure, and, and no one else can say the um the opposite for sure either.
2: Absolutely, and I mean, you look at the McLaren report released this morning with regards to Russia and their state-sponsored systematic doping program, which is quite incredible—not just a few bad eggs. This is literally a government-run, state-sponsored program. So, it would be naive, I guess, to assume that everyone in your category at the Olympics will be clean.
6: Yeah, maybe. Um, you know, you, you know, it, it is a reality of, of sport that not everyone is going to be clean. Yeah, you know, yes, I may go up against a drug cheat, but. You know what? That, that doesn't bother me. I'm at the Olympics and I'm there. To, I'm there to do my best.
2: Yeah, did it surprise you? Just the level and the widespread and systematicness of the Russian doping?
6: Uh, yeah, I, I, it did. Um, you know, uh, Russia's the All Blacks of wrestling. They're the powerhouse. They systematically, you know, routinely win the um, the World Championships and team titles. Um, they're, they're held up as the best wrestlers in the world. And technically, they're the, they're the they are the best wrestlers in the world. Drugs or no drugs, their technique is so beautiful. But um, but you know it, it, does, it does it is shocking how deep it goes um, and you know how built into that system
2: it is. Well it could certainly go some way to explaining Russia's dominance in wrestling if of course the systemic doping program did run into the wrestling management, which it appears it did. I guess for you, are you hoping that the IOC will give Russia a blanket ban? Um,
6: I don't know enough. I can't I can't say one way or another, I'm not um, you know I haven't I haven't read the McLaren report, I haven't um. I haven't looked too deeply. i just, you know, I, I obviously, I, you obviously hear stories, and you know, um, you don't know what's true and what's not. Um, but um, you know, I, 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 I'm just happy that you know WADA and the IOC uh, are doing something about it. Um, and whether or not a, ban, a total ban on Russia comes, um, you know, is moot. But I'm glad they are clamping down on it. And you know, even if they're not banned from these Olympics moving forward. Um, you know, it's going to be, a, whatever happens, it's going to be a stronger, but it's to clean up sport in general. Um, and I'm sure I'm sure Russia's not alone, um, but, you know, it, it is what it is, unfortunately.
2: If Russia were to be given a blanket ban, would that increase your chances with no Russian wrestlers in Rio?
6: Well, yeah, um, as I said, Russia's, Russia is their wrestling powerhouse, Um there's a there's a Russian in every male weight, including my weight group. So, um, you know, at the, the Russians band, uh, you know, there may be a there may be another person put in who's maybe more beatable. But um, but yeah, it's um, it's got a, it's got it'll it'll rot my sport. It'll be such a huge scandal if Russia's not there, and it will open the field right up. Uh, but you know, there's 19 in my weight, and only one of them's a Russian. So, um, you know, it, it does something. It it it, it, it 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 will affect me, but. You know, I'm not going to let it. I'm not going to let it phase me too much. I'm, I'm more focused on what I'm going there to do.
2: Yeah, of course. And I mean, this is your first Olympics, and obviously a golden opportunity for you to achieve a massive dream. However, if Russian athletes and wrestlers are there, surely there'd be an element of doubt in your mind and the other wrestlers as to how clean the Russian wrestlers would be.
6: No, that, that, that's undoubted. You're, you're, you're right there, but um, you also you can't let that weigh on you. You're not going to go out there and roll over to someone just because you think they're on the gear. Um, you know, it does play on the mind a little bit, but you, you can't let it. You can't let it control you. You can't let external factors bother you too much. There's always going to be, there's always going to be something that upsets you or something that isn't quite right. But at the end of the day, you know, you've got to make. The best of whatever you doubt dealt, King, like I, I work full-time. I work 40 hours a week. Um, these guys are paid professionals. Some of these guys will be paid professionals. They go from training camp to tournament around the world. Um, that's enough of a head start to start with. And then, then you've got the um, aspect of funding. These guys are fully funded. They're paid to do what they do. Um, I spend about fifteen k kind to of qualify for the Olympics.
2: Considering what you've just told me and the sacrifices you've had to make personally to achieve your dream of competing in Rio, how frustrating and angering would it have been had you missed out on a spot in Rio to a doper?
6: It, it was close too. The um, you know, the cutoff for registering the teams was the um, the eighteenth of July, from what I understand. Um, so it, I'm, I'm I'm very much a last minute call up. Um, so you know, I, I would, I, you know, that would have been something that haunted me the rest of my life. Uh, and just you know, I'm just so happy that you know it, it's come it's come to light early enough for them to do something about it. And that it has been reallocated, and that you know I am going because, yeah, you're right. That would have that would have um, been in, in the back of my head for the rest of my life um, had I missed out um, on someone who ultimately was banned from the Olympics himself. So, yeah, no, you're right there.
1: That's the New Zealand wrestler Craig Miller. Meanwhile, the first part of the New Zealand Olympic management team arrived in Rio this week. Shift Mission Rob Wardell says the athletes' village wasn't completely finished when they arrived and a bit of work was still required.
7: We're one of the first teams to get set up and get registered. Uh, we've come in and we've just got on with the job, really, so that's everything from unpacking containers to uh, going through the apartments to uh, registering the team, um, a wide range of tasks. we got to get done before everyone turns up. It'd be fair to say there's been more work than we anticipated with the building, uh, so that, that certainly put a, uh, some challenges on us in the last 48 hours, but we've got it into a space now we feel like it'll... Um, It'll be, uh,
1: it'll be just fine for athletes when they turn up on the 24th. Uh, uh, in- anything major there? I mean, yeah, anything that the athletes might notice or need to work on?
7: Uh, well, it is a new building, so there have been um, yeah, a lot of the, I guess those, Initial piece of work that are either still being finished or going on in regards to uh, you know, getting the water working properly and lights on, and we've just had to go through a process of going through each each room and working out what work needs to be done. We've had good support from the organising committee, uh, but it certainly um, yeah, has been more work than we anticipated. So we've been busy in that space and uh, had to get you know um, had to get involved, and um, we, we are pleased now with where it's at, and and, and when our athletes turn up, we believe that they, um they'll have the right environment.
1: Uh, you've only had a couple of days, but first impressions all ready to go, is it?
7: So certainly, as, as far as uh, you know, coming in and doing what we need to do, we're pleased with with our progress. Say, there has been some work related to the the building, but that that is to be expected for for a team of the size and scale of what we're bringing in. Uh, where we um, just keep on um, you know, unpacking and, and getting everything set up for. Um, for for the rest of the crew who are arriving shortly and in the next hour to, I guess, turn our attention to the venues and get some understanding. Um, There's a venue venue readiness uh, committee who actually will be giving us some feedback tonight or tomorrow about uh, how everything's tracking. Um, So we're looking forward to to hearing that.
1: Uh, So that's to logistics and that sort of thing that you can then pass on to the various sports of what they might expect when they arrive?
7: So so we're in touch with the sports a lot and keeping them updated and uh, obviously anything relevant to the sport or uh, information which could uh, be important for them, we're sharing that with them all the time.
1: Is your medical unit there and have they sort of got straight into what needs to be done?
7: Yes, so we've got uh, part of our medical team here now, not the full team, uh, but they're, they're here and setting up and we've got a number of different areas within the team. There's the the medical space with uh, you know the physios and doctors is obviously a pretty integral part of our team, and uh, work very incredibly hard at games time to keep everyone um, you know, at, the, at the highest level possible and then we 've got a i guess a performance and recovery space too, which is has a fair bit of equipment associated with it and and then our, our athlete lounge and other parts of our service that we offer so yeah lots of unpacks from, from the containers and get into uh, a good a good shape
1: but nothing like uh uh, stagnant water, mosquito areas, or anything that you've noticed?
7: No, I mean it's uh, it, it's certainly um, you know, something you're mindful of, and um, you know, given some of the concerns around Nika we've specifically kept a close eye on that. Um, but we noticed that they were fumigating again yesterday in the village, and um, you know, we'll certainly be doing everything we can to make sure that our know, athletes are uh, well informed and. We've prevented any um, done done everything we can to prevent issues happening.
1: Uh, so is the athletes' village um, a good area? You know, uh, it'll be conducive to I don't know relaxation or fun or or preparation or, or whatever.
7: Well, the Olympic Village is always a really exciting place to come to. Uh, you know, just the size and scale of what they do. You've got a dining hall which seats uh, I think ten and a half thousand people. Uh, it is vast. It is. the biggest um, temporary building I've ever seen in my life and then you've got all the new apartments that go with that Uh, you've got various attractions and uh, and, uh, all the necessary sort of support dotted around the village right from its own uh, hospital or polyclinic as they call it through to a gym um, and uh, pools and things like that so uh, there's uh, still obviously some of the finishing touches being done and some, some work going on but uh, for our team and our athletes that are turning up on the 24th for, for the New Zealanders that are, that are here, we feel like we'll be in a good space to, to uh, for them to do the best job possible.
1: So, who are the first uh, athletes to arrive, and will you put put on something special?
7: So, the, the first team to come into the village will be some of the rowing team on the 24th. Uh, it is it is our biggest team uh, in the in, in this Rio 2016 campaign, and then. There's another group that follows shortly after the other half of the team, I guess. And, uh, then shortly after that, soccer as well. It is our biggest team that we've ever seen away, almost 200 athletes. So there's a, 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 quite a number to roll in. And, uh, we're really looking forward to welcoming them now because, uh, it has been a lot of work done, a lot of discussion, a lot of planning. And now, now we're ready to start. Now we're, um, you know, looking forward to, to formally coming together as a team and, um, and getting on with the job.
1: So a big team, a lot of logistics there it sort of reminds me of uh is everyone registered? I'm thinking of val adams a few years ago
7: <laughs> uh look we uh, we pay you know we work really out on paying high high to detail to those critical aspects and um and there are a number of them as you highlight logistically where uh you know play a key role in getting three hundred and sixty odd people and all their balls and bikes and boats and accreditation entry in uniform from one side of the world to the other and there is no middle ground. It's got to be done to the highest standard possible so we can continue to work really hard in that space.
1: That's the New Zealand Olympic chef de Mission, Rob Woodell. A salar crowd of 5,500 witnessed Joseph Parker's fourth round demolition of Solomon Homono in the heavyweight boxing fight in Christchurch this week. Our reporter Conan Young was there taking in all the action.
8: The talk leading up to last night's fight centred around whether the 40-year-old Solomon Holmono was a worthy opponent for the much higher-ranked Parker. In the end, it took Parker four rounds to land the winning blow. After the fight, Parker said he knew straight away he was in the ring with a motivated opponent. And, and he came and gave it everything that he had. He chased us, he always
3: chased me around the ring and tried to land his big shot. So, I mean, you know, he gave it his best shot. I'm confident in what I can do in the ring. So, you know, a piece of advice that Kev gave me um, in the beginning when we first started was, uh, you know, in every fight just stay calm. You know, stay calm under pressure. And when you stay calm
8: the shots will come. A bitterly disappointed Solomon Holmano said he was going to appeal the
3: decision of the referee to stop the fight. I was, you know, ready to go on and um unfortunately referee uh, <laughs> seemed to think otherwise and um, you know this is the problem that we have. You know, we've been working, you know, seriously about this camp and our goal was to win and this is, you know, very disappointing. Before the boxing match,
8: spectator Gary Carter, who has been ringside for all of Parker's fights, predicted the fight wouldn't go more than three rounds.
1: If it does, he's really got to look at himself for a world title challenge, didn not he? Because it's, it's not, a, I mean, he's a good, a good boxer, but he's certainly not, not in, a, in a world ranking anywhere, is he?
8: Joseph Parker's opponent last night was a former rugby league player, but it was another former league player that Graham Litt said he'd like to see Parker take on next. I'd like to see him against Sunnyville Williams, I reckon see how they go. (laughs) Could be quite good, but no, I think he's um, going really, really well and it would be good if he could get to the world title bout. New Zealand First Leader Winston Peters made the trip down to Christchurch and said he admired Parker's attitude.
5: Looks like he's been handled very carefully. He's got the speed and uh, if they take it uh, carefully enough, he'd go a long, long way. Joseph
8: Parker's cousin, Zach Carphy, who was at his first fight last night, said the 24-year-old was an inspiration.
3: Oh, he's humble, mate. Very humble boxer, and he's a classy man. You know, he's got he's got respect for his fans, you know, so that's the biggest thing, mate.
8: All eyes are now on Parker's next fight in October, details of which will be revealed on Tuesday. His shot at the IBF World title, currently held by the UK's Anthony Joshua, now looks likely to take place in January next year. Conan Young
1: with that report. And that's extra time for this week. You can follow us on Twitter at Sport.